Welcome to Politics and Conscience, an ICLN Academy series on how to navigate the modern challenges of public office. This is Christian Alting von Hörschau, and today, in episode 5, we will discuss the success dilemma, re-election. Please make sure that you have listened to episodes 1 till 4 before continuing listening to this episode 5 on the success dilemma. Most people holding an elected office or government appointment today will have the following five areas of work in daily activity to deal with. First, getting or staying elected or appointed. Second, strategize. Third, communicate and handle social media. Fourth, design policies. And fifth, deliver results. One, three and five. So getting or staying elected, communicate and handle social media and deliver results are what most focus will be on. Whereby it often seems that staying elected can easily become the main worry of a politician. Here, an important dilemma becomes visible that needs to be addressed. For the political leader of conscience, what is more important? Holding on to office or acting and voting in a way that is coherent with one's inner convictions and principles? Of course, We would prefer that it is always possible to have both at the same time, holding office whilst always remaining faithful to one's conscience. But the reality of life in secular politics can often be more complicated. And here are two risks that exist that need to be recognized and discussed. The first risk is the opinion of many that conscience is seen as a purely private matter. We see that often in politics. The people claim that conscience is only a private matter and has nothing to do with one's political decisions. This is the first risk we are dealing with. The second one is the argument that if I do not get re-elected, somebody much worse will take my place. Let's go deeper into these two issues. The first one, whether or not conscience is a purely private matter for a political leader or a government officer. If our innermost convictions and principles of life rooted in our hopefully well-formed conscience If they cannot inform our decisions as leaders, what can or should inform the decision of a political leader? If it cannot be their most innermost convictions and principles of life. Should it be the media? Should it be public opinion? Should it be the parliamentary majority or the constituency? Should it be the word of a president or prime, a prime minister, or should it be an NGO or an action group? 
Now, please don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that the constituency is not important. We are discussing here matters of moral relevance. Because if this were so, that the innermost convictions and principles of life, which should be known to the voter, so that the voter knows who they elect, but if it were so that we are beholden to other people's opinions for our decisions, especially in politics, what is the point of an individual person holding office? No. Here we go back to the earlier quoted words of Lord David Alton. Politics is only as good as the people engaged in it. Would this not be of relevance, then we might as well have artificial intelligence take over politics. The democratic model of governance is based on the idea, yes, even the conviction, that individual people of goodwill get freely elected to contribute with their unique talents, but also with who they are as a person, including their convictions, their principles, their experiences, and their insights. That is the idea of the democratic model of governance. It is based on those individual aspects of the elected person. Elected office is not a robotic office. That's dealing with the, what I think, erroneous idea that conscience is only a private matter that has nothing to do with the decisions the political leader has to make. Let's go to the second risk we pointed out, namely the often heard argument also by political leaders of conscience. Well, if I don't get re-elected, then somebody else worse will, and therefore in this specific instance, I might just have to let go of it, of that conscience. And it's the argument that we often hear. Who will then be the person coming? This person after me would vote in bad policies. But this is a wrong interpretation of what is the role of the individual person elected to public office. A false understanding of what one is responsible for. Each of us, also when in political life, is responsible for his or her own decisions. And I cannot compromise on a matter of conscience with the argument that I will otherwise lose my seat or lose my appointment and somebody bad will take my place. I am solely responsible for my decisions, for my soul and for me acting justly. I cannot build my decisions on the fear of what somebody else might or might not do in my stead if I were not there in this seat or on this appointment. That is their responsibility. So, even when a political leader is very successful and does a lot of good fighting bad policies, and doing great deeds, 
Still, it is not his or her calling to, in specific circumstances, ignore or suppress his or her conscience for the sake of the higher good being re-election that would deny some other politician planning objectionable policies from winning office. Of course, let that be clear. If it can be avoided by not ignoring one's conscience, then of course it might indeed be the right and the best thing to do it. But it is often heard saying that certain politicians say, well, if I don't get elected, if I get voted out because of this decision based on my conscience that I make, then somebody worse will come. That is the problem that I'm trying to point out. I am not responsible in politics for doing or avoiding anything more than what lies in my actual responsibility as a human being in that position. The voting or policies of my political opponent or my successor are not my responsibility. And it is good in conclusion of this episode to look again at the life of St. Thomas More because he understood this specific problem that we are discussing today. He, he understood this specific problem very well. Let's look at it under the aspect of righteousness that for St. Thomas More was so important. As we already discussed, he was a man known in his time already for an unwavering moral integrity. John Paul II writes about him as follows. Who distinguished himself by his constant fidelity to legitimate authority and institutions precisely in his attention to serve not power but the supreme ideal of justice. His life teaches us that government is above all an exercise of virtue. And exactly in the question we are discussing today, the virtuous life, the exercise of virtue, as John Paul II calls it, is so important to make that right discernment that we have been speaking about. I find this statement on Thomas More the most striking and accurate summary ever given about what politics should ultimately come down to. Government, he says, is above all an exercise of virtue. Government is above all an exercise of virtue. The virtue of righteousness is one of those that needs to be practiced in politics. And Thomas More certainly did so. And also this led him to, at the right moment, on the basis of his conscience, say, no, I can no longer hold on to this office. What allowed St. Thomas More to stand for righteousness until the end, even giving his life and accepting martyrdom, was that he had a confident inner strength. His sense of righteousness was not just an opinion or fleeting feeling. It was a fundamental principle that he could uphold because he had developed it in his life, this unassailable 
inner strength. Now, you would ask yourself, how did he build this inner strength and then kept it growing? Again, John Paul II provides the answer. He says, this harmony between the natural and the supernatural is perhaps the element which more than any other defines the personality of this great English statesman. He lived his intense public life with a simple humility, marked by good humor, even at the moment of execution. So, in conclusion, Thomas More had a great unity in his life. As a powerful politician in the public square, he was not any different than the person that he was as a husband and a father at home, or the lawyer representing the poor before that. He lived one life, not a double life, and his first allegiance was always God, all else following from that. And it is this righteousness that allowed him to answer this difficult dilemma that we have spoken of today, where the ultimate moment comes to decide for one's conscience or decide for one's office.